I've been a priest for 17 years now, and when I think back about it, one of the moments that stands out to me so clearly as to when the church was being the church came, I think, about 10 years ago, but it was at the time I was at another church. I was leading contemporary worship, but I was also helping with the small group system at the church where these groups existed that all would engage every two weeks with four things. They would, they would all do some kind of worship, some kind of food, some kind of study, and some kind of prayer. And this particular group that, that, uh, that I'm talking about was a group that were in their 20s, and um, they were living life together in deep community. And uh, 20-year-olds, one of the couples was pregnant, and they went off to the hospital to give birth. And I think unbeknownst to everybody, the, the result came out that the child was born and was told that it was incompatible with life beyond just like a day or something. And um, that this group surrounded them and prayed for them, encouraged them to do all these things. But part of that conversation was, is there anything we can do? Do you want us to do something with the nursery back in your house? And the answer came back, yeah. And this group, I don't know if it was that same night or whatever, dude, the group, the group came over to the house and disassembled and took the whole nursery apart, maybe even repainted it. I don't know that complete detail, but they completely did it. And I just thought that was just amazing to me, it brought tears to me about how much love was in that group and how they were caring for that couple and what was happening in that moment. And I want to talk about that kind of community today. I want to talk about deep fellowship as part of what we're doing. And so what we're doing today is we're starting a sermon series that's starting today that's going to go, we're doing it in two stages. I'm not the architect of it, but it starts today. We're going to talk about for like the next five or six weeks about how we understand our gifts and the context of the call of the church. And then we're going to move into a different chapter of it in October, which I'll tell you about more later. But that's kind of where we're headed with all of this. And, and today, I, I, I want us to think deeply about that. And while we're holding those thoughts and we're going to go to that place, I want to hold that, that for a second and just tell you that since we sort of started to move forward out of all the COVID stuff this summer and what have you, I've had many people, not just some, but many people tell me, I kind of like pajama church. <laughs> and so part of the question here is like, okay, is pajama church okay? Like, like are, we, are we okay with that? And I think I'm, I, I so celebrate the technology we have and all our crew that has helped stream all these services for, more, for the last year and a half and what a gift that technology has been and all these different aspects of it. But is that enough? Is that really the church? Is that really doing what we're supposed to do? And um, I, I want to look at it this way. Like, we could start by talking about asking this question, what is the church? That would be a whole sermon series or a whole treatise that would be huge. Maybe we cut it down and just ask this question that's super practical. What does the church do? Like, what are we about if we're going to just focus on action? And I'll tell you one of the guys that I think is amazing in some of the writings and work and leadership that he's done in the church is Rick Warren. And of course, many of you guys will know him because he wrote, the book Purpose Driven Life, which sold to date, I think fi over 50 million copies of that book worldwide. But before he wrote that book, he wrote a different book that was called Purpose Driven Church. And in that, it was really a book that was written for people starting churches. And I, I studied it like crazy. In fact, I pulled it out when I was writing this sermon, looking back at it a little bit. Um, but part of what he does in that book is he, he talks about how that he, for a period of time, he went back and reread the New Testament 
a couple times, a few times, with a notepad asking only one question. What does the church do? Like if you're just going to read from the first page of the New Testament to the last page of the New Testament, as many times as you can with a notepad, what would you say the church does? He came out of that and said, well, there are five main things that the church does. Those uh, five things are worship, fellowship, which we're going to talk about today. And, um, and then it talks about discipleship and ministry and evangelism. Those are the five things. And there are different ways that people might assign words to those, but those are the, the five things. What we're doing with this first part of this sermon series, um, whether people know it or not, is we're kind of going into those five things and talking about what the church does with those, but then how we're called into, the, into those same purposes and activities of the church. And today I'm going to look at this first one, which is going to be the fellowship one. And then next month, um, Andrew is going to talk about the worship piece. Next week, we're going to talk about formation. We're going to, we're going to hit all of these as we kind of go along and talk about what our call is into those as we go along. And, and part of that too is, is to think about how does that stand with this idea of pajama church for a minute, you know? Because I think when you look at that list and you realize that there's five, I would think many of us for the last year, we've survived on one of them. We've just done worship. And I'm so happy we were able to do that and how needed it was. And maybe some formation through the sermons. Maybe we've done two of those primarily. Or maybe some of you have been able to do some of the others as well. I don't want to shortchange that. But it's been difficult, at least strained, trying to do all five. And maybe thinking about what the church is on that. And there's tension around this, right? You know, one of the weird things about being a priest is you get to have lots of weird conversations. I go to parties or different places and I'll meet somebody and they'll, when they finally stumble into the fact that I'm a priest, the conversation changes dramatically um, in lots of ways. You know, hopefully they haven't said anything too bad to that point. But, but one of the things I'll get sometimes is defensive things. Oh, well, gosh, you know, I, I'm, I want to get back to church or I used to go to church or one of the common answers too will be, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I don't, I don't really go to church. And, and of course I respond in love and encouragement and all the things that we should do. But I think it, it leaves us with a question sometimes about like, can you do that? Can you have a me and Jesus only kind of a deal? Or is the church vital in living out Christianity the way Jesus has called us to, to live it out? And I want to suggest to you, as Rick Warren said, by getting these five things, you may have noted you cannot do all these things alone. You cannot do fellowship alone. You cannot, you know, all these, many of these things involve us going out or doing things or being involved with one another in community. And certainly the fellowship piece is that way. The one we're talking about today. And we start talking about fellowship here. The word that's probably most commonly used or most powerfully used in the New Testament for this is koinonia. And some of y'all will even will have heard that term koinonia because you see it sometimes or, or you've heard it. But it it's this profound um, sense of of a deep community that God calls us into as his people. And I think one of the best examples of that is to look at the very start of the book of Acts that talks about how the church is growing and expanding and what it's doing. And if you go back and look at that book, you know, you have Jesus who has appeared now to his disciples in resurrected form. And he tells them, you've got this mission. He's, he's told them all this, all these things he's taught them, but you need to wait till you get power from on high. And then you're going to go forward. And so this comes, the Pentecost, we call it, the Holy Spirit's given everybody. And then they start leaning into this mission that they've been given. 
And in Acts 2, we begin to hear how this unfolds. So Peter has preached this fantastic sermon. 3,000 people that day have committed themselves to following the way and following in the footsteps of Jesus. And then at verse 42, it picks up saying this, all these people that are coming in, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. So we see that this, this group that's so in, intensely converted and following Jesus, they're, they're doing these four things, right? They're following the apostles' teaching. They're doing this common meal. They're um, doing the prayers, and they're, break, they're breaking bread together. That's what they're about. And when it talks about this idea that they're having fellowship with one another, the word being used in Acts 2 there is this koinonia, this deep fellowship. And it's easy enough to define what it is. Like if you go look it up in a dictionary, you'll get things like that it's, it's a, a communion, it's an association, it's a participation, it's all these things. But it's, it's a lot deeper than that. It draws us into a much deeper place. Um, it, it means holding your life in common with others. Um, it's this relationship that is deep and even intimate, and it, it goes beyond any kind of classes, social classes or races or any other things that society sometimes uses to divide people. It goes beyond all of that. And we see that taking place in the pages of Scripture, all these different kinds of places. And it's, it's more than just sharing spaces. It's, it's sharing life. And if you ask me, that is what the church is. The church ultimately is about this community, this profoundly knit community that's meant to show love in the world and the brokenness and even the evil of the world. It stands against that and brings light into these dark places, these dark moments of life, like I mentioned at the start. It's, it brings in God's love into these kinds of different, of these different places. It's something that draws us to set aside our selfishness and our own, um, we all have this desire to make our, to be the, in charge of everything in our lives, the Lord of our own lives. It calls us to a deeper place of loving one another and loving beyond our own walls. It takes us to that place. And it's a profound thing. It supersedes all of that. And when you look at it, that's the kind of community this group is living in. And it has a profound effect on them and on others. So I want to read sort of the rest of the story for a second, the, the final part of the second chapter of Acts. It says, All came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles, and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. And I think when we start to talk about what we missed last year, like, I mean, many of you participated online and did all this, but, but what did we miss out on last year? Pajama Church might have been great, but we missed out on this. We missed out on deep koinonia and this deep kind of fellowship. At least most of us did. And we can get by, and I thank God for the people, you know, Cedric and Adam and all the people who helped run technology behind the scenes all last year because it nurtured us and helped us and gave us hope in these different places. But it wasn't the church leaning into the fullness of the church. And as we get back closer and closer to a place where we can do that, 
that's important to us. And, and there are different ways that we can do this, right? I mean, I'm not, I don't want to suggest for a minute that it's something that can only be done um, in person. I'll say more about that in a minute. But it's something that we're called to. And when you look at it um, and you start to ask, well, then, okay, what does it look like? How do, we, how does it, how do you describe that community? What are, what are the ways, okay, this is it. What is it how do you describe that community? Well, I think we start looking at Jesus, first of all. And Jesus, you look like just, for example, at the Last Supper, about how he's talking about he wants a community that's known by love. And he himself is saying, you need to, you need to love others. And he, he's modeling that. He gets down and washes feet, the work of a servant. And the next day, he's going to give his life away for everybody. And he's going to tell everybody, there's no greater love than this to lay down your life. And, and I want you to be about this. I want you to be a community that's known. Everybody knows you because you're the people that are about love. And four times that night, he's telling them to, to be that, that kind of people, that you need to be known by love. You need, to, you need to make sure that loving one another is what marks you. And then St. Paul picks up on that. And St. Paul is going to write, you know, he write, Paul writes his letters to these um, startup churches that he's helped start, and he's mentoring them. Or his letters that we read in the, in the New Testament are to young church leaders that he's mentoring. You know, those are the two kind of letters that we get. And I'm indebted to Adam Hamilton for putting this list together. But these are the kind of things that, that Paul says about how we, living into this deep fellowship, how we should interact with one another. So this is just like a, a long list. He says, greet one another, be devoted to one another, build one another up, love one another, live in harmony with one another, bear one another's burdens, be kind to one another, regard one another as better than yourself, accept one another, bear with each other, forgive one another, encourage one another, teach and admonish one another, serve one another. And pray for one another. And the thing about this is it requires one another. It requires us to live with community in a profound way. And I'm afraid that during the past you know, year and change, we've gotten into a habit. I think I've recently read a book on habits. Some of you have read Atomic Habits. It's a great book. But he talks about how 21 days is what it takes to, to redo a, a, a habit. And we've done like a year and a half or something. So part of what we have to do during this time is to be deliberate in thinking about we need to do a reset on some of the habits that we've gotten into. And I'm saying that to the choir here and to those who are watching online that we need to figure out how we're going to do that. And I don't know. I suppose that there are ways that we can do community online. I mean, that's something that I hope we will continue to explore down the road. I know when I first finished college, my room, my college roommate and I, he was working for one of the big consulting firms and he was in a different city every week. We committed to doing a six month Bible study by phone and we had community. So he was all over the place. He, he didn't have time for a church or whatever, but he had community because we were having a Bible study and we added some people to it. We were doing a conference call Bible study back in the day. So there are ways that you can get community without being here. But by and large, there's something really powerful about being together if we can do it. And that's the kind of thing that we're, that we're looking at. It's better in person. And I think when we, this is one of those areas where 
if we're going to, if you're going to say I've been baptized and I want to lean into what it means to be a Christian, I think you're going to make fellowship part of it because there's no way to read the new Testament cover to cover and not get that God calls us to be a community, to be known by love and to have this fellowship. There's no, there's no getting around that. But this is one of those areas too, where I think science is very clear that this is really good for your, good for you and your soul too. And I don't think it should be a surprise because God made us for communion. He made us for fellowship. You know, like he, he, the story of creation says it, he creates all these things It's good, it's good, it's good. And when he's done, he says, Oh, but it's not good that man's alone. And he says, well, he we needs a companion. So, so part of what we get out of Genesis in the first couple of chapters is that we're made for fellowship. We're made for communion. We're made for that kind of connection. And it probably shouldn't be a surprise then that science backs that up. One of the cool studies that was done out of Harvard that's been done for more than 80, they, more than 80 years, they followed this one generation where they took a certain number of their students and they just followed them year after year after year. And they've been doing it for more than 80 years. I think it's, it's called the Harvard, um, the Harvard study of adult development that they've done all this time. And they've had all these interesting observations about health and relationships. And they followed all these details. And I'm told they even now are studying the next generation from these same people and, and taking this study further. But the current director, um, Robert Waldinger, who is a psychiatrist at Massachusetts General and professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, said this about the study. The surprising findings is that our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health. Taking care of your body is important, but tending to your relationships is a form of self-care too. That, I think, is the revelation. This, and I don't think it surprises us that this is part of that. We need deep relationships. That's how we're made. And God calls us to that in the church and how we live. Um, and I think it's, it's not always easy because there are times when we're going to face part of our fellowship where somebody's doing something that's uncomfortable to us or something where we, there's sin and brokenness involved in it. And it takes us practicing grace. It takes us drawing on Jesus's love to give it to others that we can have that kind of fellowship that others outside of the walls can know us as a community of love. That's part of our call. Well, I want to do one final pivot um, in this before I wind up. And that's just to shift gear. We're talking about fellowship. We're called to be together. My question now is to come back to talk about giftedness, the name of this sermon series. And those of you who have gifts, I think all of us have the ability to um, participate in hospitality or in things that promote fellowship. But some of you, I think, have flat out got a spiritual gift that helps you be one of the people that God has raised to help us all feel better, to come together, to have this kind of fellowship and to be in that kind of place. And part of the question for us is figuring out how do we discover that? I started earlier in the sermon talking about Rick Warren. He says this, as Christians, we're called to belong. As Christians, we are called to belong, not just believe. We're not meant to live as lone rangers. Instead, we're to belong to Christ's family and be members of his body. And this whole image of body is something that Paul you know, preaches about. He says, we're the body and you're each individual parts. But we're coming together as one for God's purposes and for this unity, deep unity that he's called us to. And part of our job as Christians is to figure out 
what is the gift you bring into this? We are healthiest when everybody figures out what their perhaps multiple gifts are coming into this community because when everybody is set, understands their gifts and are using them, then the community is absolutely alive and, and you know, all these different parts bubble up and are, are effervescent, you know, how they, how they live out. But part of this is you coming to understand we're called to community, but you're given gifts that we can function as the church with all the things that God's called us to do and to live into. And I hope as we start this sermon series that we'll all explore that together about your gifts and how you're meant to do it. And for those of you who think you have the gift of hospitality, be a greeter. Do all kinds of stuff, the things you can do that help live into your gifts. And you're going to feel great getting to exercise that gift. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us and you call us on a journey, not just alone, but together as a community. We thank you for community that walks with us when we're in hard spaces and a community that celebrates us when we're at the high places of life. Lord, help us to lean into that community. Help us to draw on your love and in your power to love others. That it may be an attractive thing to us and to those beyond our walls. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.